Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So we've been in a series called The People of the King, and this is a series out of uh, the book of Philippians. Um, and I, uh, so I, I have this passage this week that just kind of, it, it kind of made me think of an experience I had. So I walked into Panera the other day. Do you guys say Panera or Breadco? Breadco, right? This is kind of like the litmus test of whether you've been in St. Louis for longer than 10 years or not, right? It's, it's Panera if you're from anywhere else on the planet, but it's, you know, St. Louis Breadco. But anyway, I walked, in, I walked into there as I, as I often do the other day, and I had noticed I hadn't noticed this sign yet, but what I noticed when I walked in was that all their little kiosks were down. There was a piece of paper over all of them. They said the kiosks aren't working. And so, so in my mind, my assumption was the Internet's down at the, at the shop, right? So I'm thinking the Internet is down, and okay, that's fine. And then I see that sign, right? I see that sign that says, due to equipment failure, we are currently unable to serve any of the following. And I don't, I mean, I only see one thing on there, so it's a little strange grammatically, but soup. We're unable to serve soup, right? So in my mind, I'm thinking, you don't have internet, and therefore you're unable to serve soup. <laughs> I'm able to serve sandwiches and salads and drinks and you know whatever else is on that gigantic menu, but, but not soup. No internet equals not soup. Okay, so, so I'm thinking, what is, I'm, I'm laughing, first of all, and I'm thinking, what is the connection, <laughs> right? Like, why only soup? That, of course, that's not what the sign actually says. It doesn't say that we're out of internet. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what the equipment is. I don't know what equipment it takes to make soup, so, and I never found out. But, um, but, but I realized, it's like, okay, I made a connection. I, I made a, I failed to make a connection, I guess, right? Or I made a connection that wasn't there, and I was confused, and it was funny. Um, but I was thinking about that because as I was looking at this passage of Scripture for us, I was like, like, this is what, so this is what Paul has been doing in Philippians. If you've been following along with us, it's like Philippians is this incredible book, all right? There's so, so much, like, big, gigantic truth in it, right? And just a, just a few things that I, I plucked out, um, some, some big messages that he says. He says, you know, Paul says to the Philippians, I'm, I'm so deeply connected to you. I long for you. You know, he goes on, this, on, on all this really uh, flowery, affectionate language about how much he loves them. And he talks about how God is sovereign and that God's doing good work even through our shared suffering. I mean, there's just this lofty ideas about what it means to, um, to be together and to go through suffering with Christ and, um, and he's sovereign and, and all this stuff, right? And then he talks about how we follow Jesus' example of humility uh, in, in chapter 2 here. Uh, we're actually going to come back to it a little bit today. I mean, just some, some really, just really, I don't know, like big and, and intense kind of concepts. Uh, and it's just like one after the other, you know? I think uh, we, we've gone through Philippians here at a particular pace. Um, honestly, I feel like it's been too fast, you know? We haven't really, we haven't really been able to dive into a lot of things. But, but he talks about Jesus' example of humility and how, what it's like then to shine uh, like lights in the world, right? So oh, there's all these things. And then there's, and then there's this passage. <laughs> and this passage to me, and we'll just go ahead and read here. When I first read it, it sounds to me like just this kind of toss-in, you know? Like, here's some plans that I have and some things that are going on. And then he'll actually move on from here in chapter 3 and 
get back to like the important things or something, right? That's what it felt like to me when I first read it. Um, and so, yeah, so we can read it here. So this is Philippians 2, if you got your Bibles, uh, you got your phones or whatever. Let's go to Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. And I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy upon him, uh, on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's the passage, right? And so... Yeah, so I don't know about you, but I mean, maybe you look at that and you immediately have like, oh yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deep theological truth in that. That was just, just wasn't my reaction at first, okay? Um, I was like, oh man, I wish I was in the next chapter. Um, but as I started working on this and started thinking about it, started praying through it, um, you know, it just kind of dawned on me that, uh, that all of Scripture, right, and there's, there's so many different parts of Scripture, there's so many different parts, so many different genres of it, and just even within the same genres, there's so many different things that God is trying to do and say um, as he weaves the story of Jesus and, and of the kingdom. There's just there's so much. And it just thought on me, it's like none of it is, none of it is wasted, right? Every, everything is there for a reason, and, and certainly that is the case here. And so, so we've been doing these Bible study tips, and, um, and so this is kind of what I wanted to say uh, for this morning, right? When something seems out of place, when you're reading scripture, something seems out of place, you, you know, you can know that it's still there for a reason. There's still, there's still a reason for it. Maybe it's a big picture reason, maybe it's not, but, but pause to pray for insight and look for connections in the context, right? Particularly in the context, like what, what else is going on, right? We have this tendency a lot of times when we read scripture to pluck you know, single verses or individual things out of the overall scripture. And that's okay to do, right? But, uh, but it's better a lot of times if we're able to read, read the uh, passages in their whole context. Really, what's the overall message that is being portrayed here? And that'll help us to make some of those connections. So, so that's what I'm hoping to do this morning with this passage, if that's all right with you guys. Okay? Um, and so I'm going to actually go back through um, some of uh, some of the uh, text that we've been in in previous weeks to do that, okay? And the thing about it, when I was, when I was doing this, my, you know, doing my tip here, right, and praying about it, the verse in here that actually stuck out to me to make connections on is this one that had actually stuck out to me when I taught uh, at the beginning of Philippians 1. And it's this, I guess it's two verses, technically. And it's this little line here. It says, For I have no one like him, meaning Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's just this, I don't know, this, what, it gets caught my attention the first time I read it. 
Um, I think mainly because I was like, wow, Paul seems like he's kind of being hard on, you know, for, for they all, right? I don't, we don't know who that is exactly. Um, what's he talking about when he says, like, nobody else is like Timothy? We're not entirely sure, but it just seemed like this kind of, I don't know, it seemed a little harsh maybe, or I, I don't know, it was hard to tell, like, what is he trying to say here? Um, but I, I kind of latched onto it over time because he's, what he's talking about here is that Timothy is able to be genuinely concerned about the Philippians and that that is something that is actually really, really rare, right? It's something that everybody didn't have. And then the second part here, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So there we see this, this kind of this conflict, right? There's this, there's this your own interests <laughs> or their own interests, like people's own interests, and that those interests can actually be in conflict with Jesus Christ, not the interests of Jesus Christ. So you, you see that, right? They're two, two distinct things. So some, a lot of times here we talk about holding things in tension, right? But sometimes things are just in conflict. So that's the, I think that's the case here. Okay, so I took that and I was like, okay, so what does this mean? So let's walk through this. Let's go back through. We said when something seems out of place, look for that connection. And so, so here's my connection here that we're going to walk through for just a little bit here is whose interests are most important? Whose interests are most important? I think, that's, I think that's something that Paul is trying to address, right? When we're thinking about our lives, and, and he's thinking about the Philippians, he's thinking about himself, and he's thinking about Jesus, right? It's like, whose interests matter the most? And I think that if you take a second to, you know, just think about how you go through your day and how you think about life in general, um, this, this question, probably subconsciously, uh, but this question comes up a whole lot, right? It's a lot of decisions that you got to make day in and day out, right? A lot of times when you're trying to figure out what should I do now, what should I do next, either moment by moment or day by day or month by month, right? And, and the question of how do I, how do I actually prioritize uh, what's in the best interest of me or other people or, or what have you, right? That's, that's, a, big, that's a big thing. And so I think what Paul is trying to do with, with those, uh, those passages there is he's trying to show Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of that. But it's actually something that he's already been doing earlier in the passage, okay? So let's go back here. So this is in Philippians 1. Um, I picked out starting in uh, chapter, or sorry, in verse 21. So look, let's look at this, and we'll, we'll look at this concept of best interest, okay, or, or looking out for interests. So it says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, so let's look at that. Do you, so do you, kinda, you see a little bit of the, the competing interests, right? Or the, kind of that question about whose best interest there is in here. This kind of tension that he lives in, right? He's, he's saying, you know what? I, I know that if I depart from this world, if I die, and remember Paul's in prison here, he's not having a great time, um, at least circumstantially, right? 
And he's saying, you know what? I'm faced with this threat of death. I actually know that if I were to depart and be with Jesus, like, I would, I would like that better, I think, right? That would be better for me, right? My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, right? On the Philippians' account, right? You see that kind of the weighing of the interest, right? What's better for you, Philippians, um, is that I should remain. And so he says, convinced of this, I will remain for your progress in faith. And he actually then talks about the joy that that brings him, right? He's He'll talk about that multiple times in Philippians. Okay, so that's, that's part of it. Um, here in Philippians 2 that's, that we've been in uh, more recently, he says if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, my joy, right? So now, now he's talking about his interests. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and then here's a famous word, verse, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or uh, uh, conceit. I have, in, in my mind, I have the word vainglory, which I think is from a King James Version, which is kind of a big word, but a, a good one. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own, there's that word, interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, have this mind among yourselves, right? So again, we're seeing this idea of interest. And, and you know, a lot of times people kind of get wrapped around the axle a little bit when they see verses like this because it's like, okay, so does that mean that I'm not important and only other people are important? Or, you know, like how do I, how do, I do this? How do I navigate um, the fact that, you know, he's saying consider others more significant than yourselves, okay? We'll get into that a little bit more um, in a bit. But, but for now, I just want you to kind of see, like, there's this, there's this interaction, right, of, of interest. He's talking about, again, himself, what brings him joy. And he's talking also about what are the interests of other people, and this is a big part of how we learn to live. Um, and then he says this, have this mind among yourselves, right? So um, I stopped the verse there before the next slide because... The mind there, right, is looking out for not your own interests, not only your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, okay, which is yours in Christ Jesus, okay? Who, so now he's going to tell us, okay, what is this mind like, right? What is the example of this mind? Who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. This is one of like the all-time greatest you know, theological passages in Scripture, right? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God our Father. Okay. So let's get the, look at that first part, right? So this, this mindset that he's trying to say that you should have, that you do have, right, because of Jesus, the, the, the description of that is that Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not count that as something that he was going to hold on to, right? Why? Why? <laughs> Why is that? 
well, he humbled himself, right? He, he became born in the likeness of a man. Um, and the interesting thing there is that at the end of the passage, he says, and that's why Jesus is actually exalted. So, so the interest of Christ is actually to become exalted, and that that is playing out for in the way, uh, primarily in the way that he actually humbles himself, right? And becomes uh, interested. He, he becomes, uh, he comes into a place where he is able to say, the interest of my people, the people I've come to serve and to die for, that that is the interest that I'm elevating, right? Does that make sense? There's, there, so so there's, all, there's all these interests that are kind of floating around, and, and so let's keep going here. Um, one, one, more, one more section here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works, works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, do all things without grumbling or disputing, David talked about last week, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should all be glad and rejoice with me. Okay. So again, in here, now Paul is also talking about his own interests, right? What are his interests? Well, he wants to be proud, right? He wants to be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. Um, he wants, he wants uh, God, he, he shows us that God has his good pleasure, right? That it's his interest in mind. Um, and he wants to also be able to be glad and rejoice. And he wants them to be able to be glad and rejoice, okay? So, so in this huge picture here, and then when he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, it's all like, it's a little bit of, of a jumble in some sense, right? As a lot of times we read through scripture is. But you can kind of see how there's all these, there's, there's God's and there's Jesus' interests and then there's Paul's interests and there's the Philippians and there's our interests and there's all these, all these things that are floating around that actually kind of come together in some way, right? And they come together in, uh, and they're, they're not in conflict in the way that he's talking about in our next section there, right? That... Uh, for they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ, okay? So here's, here's, what, uh, here's what we talked about at the beginning of the series, right? Is there anything truly different about the community that gathers around Jesus? That's one of the questions that we've sort of been asking, right? What are the people of the king like? And, um, and when we talked about this at the beginning, I kind of showed this tension of individuality, right, on the one hand, and togetherness on the other hand, and how we're always kind of like trying to figure this thing out, and what holds that tension, what, what the ability to hold that tension together is, is Jesus, okay? Jesus is what holds that together, and, and we'll, we'll continue to explore that. Um, but this morning, what I just want to show you um, is kind of something similar, right? But just in this context of interest, okay? So hopefully you can follow me a little bit here. So there's what's best for myself, okay? And we can focus on that, what's best for me. And then there's what's best for other people, Okay. And these two things, left to their own device, okay, without Jesus in the picture, these two things are pretty much always going to end up in conflict in some way, shape, or form. 
Okay. Can we agree with that? I mean, that's where, that's where injustice basically comes from. That's where, you know, war basically comes from. That's where a lot of, all, all sorts of sin essentially comes from is because we're, we're set in a stage where Jesus is not in the picture and we're looking at what's best for me. Or maybe you could even extend this out. You can think about what's best for me and my family or me and my tribe, me and my, uh, maybe even me and my country, right? What's best for whatever, whatever the unit is, whatever the, whatever the bounded set unit is that, is, uh, that you would say, okay, that's, that's my, my tight-knit core, right? Whatever is best for that at the expense of what is best for everybody else who's outside of that. And as long as we are in that kind of mindset, as long as the world is in that kind of mindset, there will always be conflict, right? Those things will always come in conflict with one another. Um, I wish <laughs> that I had the ability to make cool animations. Um, I don't, but, uh, but I, I, I imagined it like, like, okay, what happens is instead of our interests being equal, right, like what's best for me becomes bigger and bigger, right? So you can picture that bubble there on top just growing larger and larger. And then in my, my animation mind, I, I see it just sort of like, like smashing on top of the best for others bubble, right? And it's kind of like splattering all over the place and it's just like beating it down, right? So that, I mean, that's kind of what, what a lot of life is, I feel like, right? There's this, right, we're, we're left to our own devices. We are, we are in a place where we want our interests to trump everyone else's if at all possible. And, um, and, and, you know, and the sort of the harder things get, the more we want that to be true, right? And so that is, that is how we often live, and that's how we, how we think about things left to our own devices. Okay, so, you know, that's not what we want. <laughs> we want to be able, and, and even look, look, all, any, any secular psychologist or um, you know, wise person of any sort will tell you that it's not a good way to live, right? We need to be able to somehow bring some leveling of what's best for me and best to others. But, you know, that's really, really hard. And, and so, of course, the only way to do that is the only thing that holds that together is what we see in the passage, what we're seeing in Philippians over and over again, is that it's about how you actually look to Jesus. And, and actually, what's interesting in, in, in the passage that we're talking about um, you know, looking out for our interests. That word interest, it, it, almost, it almost doesn't really show up in the Greek. It's not, it's not like really like a direct translation. Um, maybe, maybe almost a better way to think about it is what's your focus, right? How are you focused? Are you looking, you know, another way to say it is like they're all looking at themselves, not at Jesus. So not even necessarily going to that step of the interest, but they're all looking at themselves, or we're all looking at ourselves, in contrast to looking at Jesus. That's where the conflict is. And so being people of the king, this is what I want to say, right? This is the, this is the title of the message. Being people of the king means that we understand this, that the people of the king are equals, they're, we're equals. We're equals because of being with the king, right? He's the one that is able, he's the only one who is able to hold all of our interests, including his own, right? 
in this place that actually works, that can actually be sustained and can actually, um, can actually move forward. And so, you know, I was thinking about this message um, and, uh, and just how to, like, I don't know. I was just like, how do I, how do I talk about this, Lord? And I was, I was praying about this. And, um, and he pretty, pretty quickly <laughs> brought to mind some things that he's been talking to me about um, pretty recently. And I was like, I don't want to share that. That's confusing and I don't know. And it's also kind of, it's, it's really a confession on my part a lot, which that's not like, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to hear that. I certainly don't want to do that. Um, but he's like, no, this is, this, is, this is what you need to talk about. So, um, so we've, been, we've been meeting. A lot of, a lot of you will know, uh, you know, we have this group called LSAT that uh, is a group of us that have been just meeting and praying and discussing a lot about uh, what is the church going to look like? What is our church going to look like? How is it going to be structured uh, going forward into the future? And what would, what, the best way to put it is, uh, the title of the book that we're, that's helping us right now is Pursuing God's Will Together. Like, how are we going to pursue God's will for our church together? What does that look like? Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of thought at the beginning that was just going to be all about, oh yeah, we're just going to look at a whole bunch of different options. We're going to just strategize and plan and figure things out, and that will pop something magical, and, um, and that'll be it. And that is, that is absolutely not how it's gone, as, as you know, if you've heard us talk about it. Uh, what, a lot of what has been happening instead in our team has been God inviting us into some really, really deep places of processing uh, for ourselves as individuals and sort of together, like as a team, as community, and our, even in our own relationships with one another. And it's just been all this, all this work and one of the things that uh, one of the things that we were invited into was to think about um, what what things in our experience of being here in this church what things have been transformative, kind of like David was talking about last year last week uh, that the people of the King are are transformed right what things have been transformative, which for me has been like many many things right I mean I would say much of much or maybe most of what I would say is like formed in the image of Jesus at this point in my life has happened as a result of this place and this church and, and all of you guys. So, um, and so a lot, what has been transformative has, has been, been awesome. But also, what has been deformative? And what are things that have actually been uh, pulling me away uh, or that I've engaged in that have pulled me away from the image of Jesus and being able to be closer to Jesus. And that, of course, is, is a lot harder to kind of stare in the face a little bit, especially if you're, um, especially for me, because I've been, I've been in leadership here for a really long time. And so whatever, whatever it is that is deformative of this place, there's probably, you know, my, my hand is in that in some way. Um, and so, as I was kind of thinking through that, what God, uh, what God had shown me pretty clearly was, as, as sort of the primary issue with that um, was really related to this, is not having always seen people, believers, as being equals. Um, I, uh, I think especially this, is, this was true 
you know, uh, let's, let's say, I don't know, just to throw some dates on it, like back in uh, the 2005 to 2015 like range, like that kind of era, like, I mean, you know, good long time. Uh, this, was, this, was a, this was a period in time in the church where, you know, as church leaders, the, the culture that we were in, and, and I know this, this might not make sense to all of you, but, but just there's this kind of like, you know, there's like a, a church leadership culture within the country, right? There's pastors' conferences, and there's, you know, podcasts, and there's influencers, and all that kind of thing. Like any, any, any group of people has that kind of thing, right? And so church leaders have that as well. And in that time and place, there was this big thing about church growth, which really meant numerical growth, right? Church is growing like really fast and getting really big, and, and, and that was sort of the measure of how awesome they were. If, you were. if you were to sign up to go to like any pastor's conference or something, you know, and you're looking at the brochure and, you know, okay, who are the speakers, like all the speaker bios would sound something like this, okay? So-and-so pastor, uh, you know, at the age of 16 and a half, uh, <laughs> went to so-and-so place with no money and uh, no, you know, two other people, and, um, and inside of four years, they had a church of 10,000 people <laughs> and have sent out four million missionaries. You know, it's like, like that, was, that was like every bio, right? And it was, I mean, it was, and it was always the singular person too, right? That was the other thing. It was always like this one guy did all these things and wasn't that awesome? And now he's going to bless us with uh, his presence and you're going to learn all about how to do the same thing, right? Um, and that was just the culture. That was the culture. And it, it was, uh, I would say it was, it was pervasive, you know? I think most, most places uh, that, that we were in touch with uh, kind of thought the same way. We had a um, you know, there were, there were a group of churches that, that used to be part of the vineyard also that we were close with, and I, I just, I remember they had, I, I looked on them with a lot of admiration because they kind of had this, this model where they were able to, like, just replicate what I would have called success, right? They were able to just kind of stamp out one church after another and more and more people and look at just all this great things that was happening, and there were great things that, things that were happening, right? Um, but it was, this, it was this machine, essentially, right? It was this kind of thing that we figured out this how to, how to, how to like get people to fall into these particular molds and to find the right people to, to spit out this product that we were going to have at the end. Um, and in a lot of ways, it worked. Um, it worked for them. It didn't work so well for us, you know? We, uh, you know, we, we, we always grew. We were always growing in, in, in some ways during that time. Um, but then we ran into some really, really hard times, and we, you know, we just went through all sorts of, all sorts of ups and downs. And, and so we always, I, I know for me personally, I would look at some of these other churches, even some other churches in town. I'd be like, man, what's up with that? You know, why are they like, why are they growing? We're not. And just like getting all wrapped up. And what, what was happening internally for me was that my security, my identity, was getting tied to this idea that the church that I'm helping to lead ought to be growing numerically and quickly, too, right? That was, that, that was, that was happening, right? The, the forming of that, or the deforming of me, of that, was happening. And the result of that was a lot of things. Um, I think, first of all, <laughs> 
I think that I, I probably interacted with people. I, I don't probably know. I know I interacted with people on the basis of not equality, but on whether I thought that they were going to be able to help us with our agenda of growing the church in this particular way. Right? So if you walked in the door, I can, this is the confessional bar, right? Like, I know if you walked in the door during that time, like, I would look at you and I would, I would think about whether I would talk to you or not based on whether I thought that you were going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's, that's a deformative thing. That is not what, that is not representative of what Jesus is talking about here. Um, so, you know, God has, God has been so gracious, right? He is, you know, we do many things in the name of Jesus with leaving Jesus far in the dust, right? That, that happens. But he's, he's gracious to us and he's done, he's done so many things in the ensuing time to, you know, kind of gently roll me out of that and roll us out of that more and more. Um, I think, you know, that's a whole other story uh, of just process and all that. But um, I don't think that's so much the place that I'm in now, although I'm sure there's, there's residual parts of that. But I know, I know, I'm sure for some of you, whether it's here or whether it's in other places, you've felt, um, you've felt the impact of that kind of thinking and that kind of culture, right? And, uh, and that's, not, that's not good, you know? That's not good. That's something that God needs to heal and um, to deal with. And, and I think that I think that he wants to do that. You know, why? Because if we're going to be people of the king, right, if we're going to actually learn what it's like to follow Jesus, what we're going to find out is that, is that we are all equals, right? And that our interests actually do align insofar as they align with Jesus, insofar as they align with Christ, right, and what he's doing and what he wants for us, right? And so, um, so this morning, what I want you to do, we're gonna we're gonna start this in workshop a little bit, okay? I want you to ask Jesus to show you if there are members of the body of the belie- of believers in Jesus. Nope. Okay. That's the projectors. The projectors sometimes decide to turn off, so you know, whatever they want to do. Uh, are members of the body that you value higher and or lower than others. And it's important to do the higher part too, right? Because, <laughs> you know, if you, don't, if you don't love celebrity Christian culture, well, maybe part of the reason that's there is because we're doing some of the elevating part of it. Right? Ask Jesus to show you if there are members of the body that you value higher and or lower than others. And then talk with Jesus about this and invite a trusted person into that conversation.